Today on Backroom Politics, the CIA flatly denies Senator Feinstein's allegations of eavesdropping on U.S. Senate computers. Questions continue to loom surrounding the disappearance of a Malaysian Airlines flight to Beijing. Was terror involved? Today is Election Day for the Floridians in the 13th Congressional District. How important is this race to both parties? Plus, a botched Senate bill regarding sexual abuse in the military? Did we mention CPAC was in town? And, of course, your weekly dose of Putin. This is Backroom Politics. Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics. To join the discussion, you can call toll-free 1-877-662-3713. And now, the moderator of Backroom Politics, Justin Russell. And good afternoon out there in Radio Land. It is Tuesday, which means it's time for the best political radio show you've never heard of. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Joining me as they do every Tuesday to my left, he is the former eight-term member of Congress representing Washington's 2nd Congressional District. He is Congressman Al Swift. Hello, Congressman. Hello, Justin. And to his left, ironically, he is the former Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Broadcasting Corporation, former Floor Chief for then Congressman Gerald R. Ford. He is the Honorable Bob Hines. Hi, Bob. Hello, Justin. And to my 11 o'clock, she is the former General Counsel to the House Homeland Security Committee under Benny Thompson, former General Counsel at the Maritime Administration as an Obama appointee, the Honorable Denise Krepp. Hi, Denise. Hello, Justin. And to my 12 o'clock, directly across the table, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce, longtime Senate staffer, longtime Washington Center, and a very distinguished, handsome, and now refreshed fellow with his water. He is the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Justin, hello. Alan, how's the air quality? It's much improved. Good, good. It must have been that all night party in the Senate last night on climate change. Yeah, that could be it. (laughs) To my my 2 o'clock, he is the former executive director of the Democratic Party of the great state of Maryland. He is Carl Tubin. Hi, Carl. Hello, Justin. And to my right, he is a longtime Washington insider. He is an attorney and campaign insider. He is Dan Lipner. Hello, Daniel. Hey, Justin. Glad to be here and glad to be contributing to the air quality. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Hey, we got a big show to cover, but we want to cover uh, what is now apparently breaking news coming out of Malaysia. Uh, for those who don't know, uh, over the weekend there was a Malaysian air flight uh, that flew from Kuala Lumpur en route to Beijing. The flight, flight number 370, was supposed to be an overnight flight going over water, yet at some point in midway in the flight over open water, the plane literally just vanishes out of communication and radar. There is no sign of debris. There is no sign of wreckage. There is no indications as to possibly what would happen. However, CNN now is reporting that there are several sources saying that the plane itself, after getting close to Vietnamese airspace, has made a variable turn off course, 
which is, which is a hard to explain, but there are also several other factors, including two Iranian nationals who sought asylum, who were traveling at least at last count under fake passports, many, many questions, many mysteries surrounding the disappearance of Malaysian Air Flight 370. The big question is, obviously, that everybody's looking at is, and, and Denise Krepp, I'm going to go to you first. This has a lot of questions around it. Number one, though, it's looking more and more like evidence would dictate not so much an act of terrorism, but as one uh, former NTSB official said to me, not so much terrorism, but a cockpit incursion. Is, is that evidence matching up with you a little bit? Justin, we can't say that. I mean, you don't have the black box. We don't have any signals that have come from, that, from the plane. But what we do know is that the plane isn't there. And the questions are going to be is what happened to it? The United States is obviously working very close with the NTSB, the FAA, TSA, and others, the State Department. It's, you know, you've got a lot of different nationals on this plane, so they're all, all of the governments representing these nationals are going to be very concerned. Does it you know, add a little spice that we've got two Iranian nationals traveling on fake passports? Yeah, that makes life a little more interesting. But it, it, it seems to me, just as a, as a pilot myself, that this is, especially on an airliner, especially on the aircraft that this was, this was a uh, Boeing 777, a Boeing 777, which has a remarkable safety record. There have only been two catastrophic failures that have, been involved, that have involved a Boeing 777, one of them, both of them man-made, one of them happening last year at San Francisco International Airport where the, air, the pilots, human error, misjudged the glide slope and the altitude of the plane crashing down the runway and causing several deaths. But this does not happen on that. Alan Moore, you got a thought on that. No, one, oh, one death. One, one death. Uh, I thought there were, there were two deaths on that, I thought. Maybe more. But perhaps we're wrong. But, uh, yeah, anyway, um, the reality is this is a very reliable airframe, Alan. I mean, these planes just don't mysteriously fall out of the air, at least historically in the 19 years it's been in service. They don't mysteriously fall out of the air. What does often happen, though, is we get surprised as to what did happen, which is why I agree with Denise. It's, it, we just need to be really careful speculating here. Um, there was that early reports about two people traveling on on stolen passports was sort of an oh my god moment and then they turned out to be teenagers from Iran trying to get somewhere and they were with a friend the night before apparently. Getting to so, Germany to meet so, their mom. So I think, you know, we, we just have to be a little humble here about, about uh, what we know, what we don't know. There's a lot of people looking, a lot of smart people. Until we find something, some kind of wreckage, uh, and it may be in a place very different from where we were looking if the plane veered. Um, I, I think it's just, just uh, way too early to, to speculate and move and, and think that any particular thing happened. We can throw out a bunch of scenarios here, and I just don't think it's particularly helpful. Call Tuvan. I, I hope that the uh, president and other uh, leaders in the world uh, call for a tightening up of the uh, uh, inspection of uh, passports. Um, the, Malaysia is not in a, a group of uh, nations, or they're in a small group of nations that don't check passports as closely as some others do. Uh, 
who knows, that might have obviated the whole situation. The other question I have is, when did they find out that this, this uh, uh, plane made the left turn? Uh, you know, this thing is now three, four days old, and all of a sudden now, <clears throat> They're saying it made this, this term. Well, I, 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 can, I can tell you as a pilot and, and somebody who's flown over open water and familiar with air traffic control, what they, what they did is they did an extended, extended travel over oceans. They basically go into open airspace, not necessarily monitored by radar or by radio, but there are certain times that they can actually, they're supposed to check in based on their flight plan. But Bob Hines, we, we saw Peter King. Uh, the rank, uh, the uh, former chairman of Homeland Security Committee from New York, uh, talking uh, our Homeland Security Committee chairman, talking about this reeks of terrorism, and he's been kind of stoking the fire as to, hey, we really need to take a serious look at this could have been and seems like an act of terrorism. Is he lighting a premature candle and getting everybody spun up for no reason? I certainly think so. I think, it's, I think it's a little bit early to say something like that is the case, but all we know for sure is the plane ain't any place that we can find it. And it wouldn't be out of character for Pete King. Ah, Alan, uh, I'm sorry, Dan Lipner. It wouldn't be out of line for anyone who believes in the immense spending in the security state. The, the fact that something happened and bad things do happen and a handful of people taking over a plane happens all over the world. The Ethiopian Airlines hijacking jacking that we've all seen the clips of when it ditched off the coast of Africa. We've, we have seen this before, and it does not mean a catastrophic disaster for globally. It's a disaster for the plane and the people on it. But the opportunity to use a, an issue and a disaster for the people on the plane for some other global purpose is mis, misused. The only okay, other thing... Denny's crap. Alan Moore? Oh, I agree with Denise. You know, but, uh, you know it's, I, look, you just, we just have to be careful. But that doesn't mean that everybody's being careful it follows the, the, the same shape or form. Um, there are a lot of things that, that, that might have occurred. This new information about the plane apparently turning and moving as much as an hour in a different direction means we've been looking in the wrong place. So it doesn't tell us much more than that. Let's go, you know, refocus our, our search efforts. Maybe we find it. Maybe we learn something. Maybe there was something catastrophic that cut off oxygen. And, and everybody in the plane died up in the air. We don't The Gary know. Player jet model, if you will. Yeah. I mean, there, there is some Payne science. Payne Stewart. I'm sorry. Payne Stewart. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Payne Stewart. I apologize. The catastrophic decompression, we learned a little bit about this from the, uh, the what's the call for his name? The Payne Stewart. Payne Stewart. Um, with small jets, when they catastrophically decompress, they, everyone loses consciousness in something like five seconds. In a jetliner the size of the uh, 777, you, you have some time, and the pilot's maintaining consciousness. It's not impossible. I'm not an expert on this, but the science that we learned from that, la that disaster suggests that it's 
unlikely. But this this scenario, whether it was just mechanical failure, whether it was man-made, whether it was just a navigational accident, loss of oxygen, however, this has brought up with the discovery of two stolen passports, two Iranian nationals traveling. In, in defense of Peter King, it does bring up a very solid point if you know, these countries that are supposed to be security partners in aviation uh, have come back. They're not running their passport checks through Interpol. Interpol says that maybe 25 or 30 percent of the total countries that have signed on to do so actually use the system they've signed on to do. It costs money, it takes time, and quite frankly, they just can't be bothered. Does this Congressman now? Would this bother you as a former member of, of Congress hearing that we're supposed to be secure in our air flight? We can't even trust our partners? Well, since when were we trusting our partners, uh, particularly uh, some of the developing nations and what have you? Um, in Malaysia, we hear, uh, is kind of loose on, on covering passports and what have you. No, it doesn't surprise me. Carl Tubin? The other thing is, you know, we just saw on the uh, on the screen, they had a target as to where the plane might have come down. But we're, I, I don't think we can be sure about that because the the uh, it's been told that uh, there was seven hours of fuel left. So that, that plane could have gone a lot further than what they have on the uh, screen. Very true, very true. We're going to be modeled. Denise Kreb real quick. Traveled on a plane, and it is your worst nightmare that you're in a plane that disappeared. So I, I think the news cycle is beginning to feed off of this. But should it feed off of this for the next couple of weeks? Absolutely not. We need to get some more stories. We should be talking about. Right, right. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to continue to monitor the situation. Uh, if any news breaks on this, we'll obviously keep an eye on it. But we're going to take a break. When we come back. We're going to talk about the other big news coming out of Washington, D.C. Apparently, just when you thought that we were only spying on foreign heads of state, now nah, we're spying on our own leadership, according to Senator Dianne Feinstein. This is Backroom Politics. We'll be back in two minutes. Stay with us. You know, you hear us talk about Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. It's being the place to be. America's premier cigar tavern, place to make new friends or visit old friends, or even have a lively political discussion like we do here on Backroom Politics. But what you may not know, Shelley's is the place for private parties. Shelley's Backroom is available to host events for groups of 10 to 250. From cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners, Shelley's can provide custom menu options to suit your needs and budget. Although Shelley's is a smoke-friendly environment, Shelley's can make accommodations for non-smokers based on the side of your party, but heck, why would you want to? With a cigar menu like they have here, why would you even consider going smoke-free? Event pricing varies based on the time of the day of the week chosen for your event. For more information on private parties at Shelley's Backroom, Go to www.shellysbackroom.com slash private-party. Shelly's Backroom, the place to be, as Bob likes to say it. It's also the place for private parties.
here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, we're going to change scope a little bit and talk about the big news coming out of Capitol Hill. So, uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein has charged that the CIA is actively monitoring and snooping around the U.S. Senate computer systems. According to Senator Dianne Feinstein, uh, the accusation is that they are um, that the the agency, according to a Politico report, the agency quote improperly interfered in a congressional investigation by actively snooping into uh, private Senate files. This is a huge, huge accusation coming out of the uh, senator from the great state of California. Number one, the big question is, is this correct? Well, the, the, the director of central intelligence has come out and said that this is categorically false, this is categorically untrue, and that this is just more mongering towards feeding into the populist version of the government snooping on everybody. First, I gotta go, Alan Moore, you worked in the Senate in a long time. Uh, did you ever feel snooped on by some of the three-letter agencies that, that the senator from California is talking about? No, I didn't feel snooped on by people in other agencies. I felt snooped on by the people in the cubicle next to mine. <laughs> it's, it's pretty crowded up there, and uh, there aren't a lot of individual offices. I was fortunate to, to have one for some of my time up there, but uh, there's a lot of closeness. The snooping thing, here again. We're going to have to see this play out. Diane Feinstein, chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee, is not one to just toss off accusations lightly, so that gets your attention. On the other hand, um, and, and as we know, our intelligence services uh, have the capability to do stupid things. So you put those two together, you think, well, maybe she's got, got this. On the other hand, this seems pretty far-fetched. To me, I, I'll be interested to learn more details, learn about what timing we are talking about, because after Edward Snowden came out, I'm thinking a lot of folks scaled back on whatever the hell they were doing, particularly with regard to the Congress. So I've got a skeptical wait-and-see view. Well, I mean, according to Senator Feinstein's accusation, this is coming from our friends at Politico, uh, this actually stems from an investigation that Feinstein's panel uh, on the uh, Intelligence Committee uh, into a Bush-era detention and interrogation program. This political firestorm, according to Politico, uh, took to the Senate floor and accused the agency of putting up barriers to that probe and that they violated the Constitution. Those are not weak words, Dan Lipner, coming out of Senator Feinstein, particularly out of the chairwoman of intelligence. No, these, these aren't weak words at all, and we already know there's more than a grain of truth to the misdeeds of the intelligence agencies. Uh, the, the stories that are broken that, uh, that Snowden has allowed us to see are really just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you know, friends within the, just in, in the, the defense uh, industry, we know the defense intelligence agency was misusing their data to spy on their own military, our own military people for people who are up for promotion. I mean, this is stuff that has not really broken nationwide for the average citizen. Not just government big data, but big data in general is something that is 
desperately in need of oversight and with not not detached from the Malaysian airline flight, the scaring people into misusing a, a catastrophe to then give away civil liberties and privacy is a frightening thing. And I'm glad the senator from California is now on board saying that, yeah, there's some oversight needed and we need to check into exactly what they're doing. But, I mean, you're talking, about the, you're talking about the CIA, the Central Intelligence Committee, actively breaking into, cyber hacking into the Intelligence Committee's private files on Senate-owned servers and basically getting all of the data that they needed to counteract an accusation coming from the Intelligence Committee. Also deleting records. And, and delete, and, and, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot about the whole deleting records part as well. Uh, this, um, Bob Hines, this is a bad, bad day for Director of Central Intelligence, Brennan. Let us, let us for the moment assume that what the senator believes to be true is true. I can't imagine anything more stupid for the CIA to be doing. I mean, it just makes no sense at all to, to, find, to find that the CIA is checking up on the, on the United States Senate. I cannot imagine that that may be the only thing that would unite the Senate on any action they would want to take. Go ahead. Carl Tubin. You know, with all the stuff that's happened, all the accusations uh, about the CIA and, 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 uh, and also NSA and uh, all the stuff that's gone back and forth, it doesn't surprise me at all that they would come back and do something like this, as stupid as it sounds, that, that they would do it to, and to uh, that committee because uh, of, of just revenge. Denise Kraft? Einstein's a Democrat. That's why this is, you know, for me, it's strange that she's making accusations against a, a Democratic administration. And so if she's going to do that, she weighed a lot of political... She, she went through her own little checklist on should she or shouldn't she. And by doing this, she's now put the administration at risk. She, she's put the administration at risk, really. Now, we're going against the Director of Central Intelligence and John Brennan, that the White House has wholeheartedly supported in his running of the agency. Uh, does this put the White House and Senate leadership at bay, too? Well, no, what this does is put some senators who are up for re-election at risk. That's going to be our problem. You've got a lot of senators from key states that we thought we were going to keep on the Democratic side. If the administration has just been stupid enough to spy on them, then that's given more ammunition to the Republicans who are going to try to win those seats. I don't, think, Lipner, I don't think it's necessary to even go partisan on this. The history of how the, the intelligence agencies have misused power, and this goes back beyond Watergate, of uh, misuse of intelligence and the intelligence mechanism. It, both parties have done it, and the intelligence agencies are somewhat above the law. And if there's no redress, the old adage that absolute power corrupts absolutely with no true oversight, and both House and Senate committees have suggested they have never had true access to the information and how things were getting done, and now this additional step just brings it all home. But the idea that Democrats and Republicans, that this is a partisan issue, yes, the White House is occupied by a Democrat at the moment, but suggesting that the intelligence agencies would, would behave differently under a Republican administration is 
is, is ludicrous. The only administration I could say would be different is if Rand Paul were in the White House, and this is actually be a boon for him for his presidential run. Bob Hines? Like I said before, I think it's just insane that stuff like this is going on, and I suspect that there will be uh, some real repercussions uh, fairly soon. Congressman Al? I, I just want to go back to what was said, I believe, by uh, Denise at the very beginning. Uh, Senator Feinstein is known for being pretty level-headed, for being uh, responsible. Uh, this is this is not the kind of thing that I think should be dismissed. She is human. She can be wrong, uh, but she is not. Uh, she's not out trying to grab headlines uh, on this at all. Carl Tuvin. And, well, and, 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 and one last thing. When I was in Congress, I always assumed that my phone was tapped by the FBI. Now, I have no evidence that it was, <clears throat> and I, I didn't think about NSA and CIA and what have you. I just assumed that you have these people whose mentality is to find bad in everywhere they can little, find it. A little paranoid there, Congressman Nixon? I, I, <laughs> Oh, boy, I, that's a low blow. <laughs> who, who's going to be list are we on now? <laughs> I, 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 Hillary, I, I, I think that one should always be skeptical of these kinds of spy agencies because their whole mentality is different than ours, and they can sometimes justify to themselves things that uh, would horrify us. Carl Tubin. As far as politically concerned, <clears throat> Diane is pretty strong in uh, California, and uh, therefore she probably believes I can do this and <coughs> and, uh, and put this on the table, which she has. But what about land? What about Begich? What about Landrieu? What about Martin Pryor? I agree uh, uh, with my friend on the on the left here, and, and that that does not that will, it will not touch them. Wow. Alan Moore. Yeah, I, I, I think it could easily touch them. Um, it won't necessarily. But I think it's not about Feinstein being strong in California. It's about Feinstein saying, this is my duty. This is my job in the United States Senate. My job as chairman of the Intelligence Committee. We've got, we've got evidence now that's more than hearsay that they were fooling around in our files, and she's apparently for a couple of weeks been trying to get some kind of uh, conversation with them, and, and in her mind they've been stonewalling, and she's calling attention to it. Let the chips fall where they may is her view. This is more important than California politics, electoral politics. This cuts to the core of, of, of America, uh, Americans' political system. Is it is it honest and open and trustworthy or is it not? But you you've got even other Democrats such as uh, Senator Barbara Mikulski who came out and said that I think we need to know more about the facts quote unquote. She continues on as reported by Politico as when when asked does she think that the CIA committed a violation? Her response again according to Politico quote. No, because I find right now that there are accusations, which is unfortunate, and I hope we can really have some more conclusions. It, 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 it almost seems like this might even be dividing some inside Democratic leadership in the Senate, Alan Moore. 
Well, <laughs> nobody wants this conversation right now, uh, mostly on the merits. Nobody wants to contemplate the thought that, that the CIA or other intelligence agencies are digging around in the, in the, in the Senate's business or the, the, the Congress's business, but the thought that they might be Curiously, maybe a unify. I think, as someone said, something that will that would unify them. Now, it all, this kind of stuff, when it happens on your watch, tends to harm more the people who are in charge. Although there aren't any senators who are claiming any knowledge here, other than now Feinstein, who's gone public with with, with knowledge, which is very problematic for the administration. Nobody's suggesting that the White House was ordering this stuff up. Um, as, as, as Al said, he's in, in a lifetime around here, he's watched the intelligence agencies do a lot of things that are suspect. When they have this kind of access and this sort of mindset, who knows what they'll do? And we know that they've done a lot of things that have come back to bite them, their agencies, and the United States. Dan Lipner. Well, there's also been something to suggest, and this is based on statements that have been made, that the White House hasn't even known exactly what the intelligence agencies have been doing. Again, this is agencies running without oversight. But what, now, now, wait a minute. That, that brings up a whole new level of questioning. Alan I, Moore. I am absolutely shocked at the thought that this White House is only now learning about something that happened on its watch. <laughs> oh, wait. That happens about every three or four months, something. Oh, I'm just reading about it in the newspaper. Congressman Al, would you like to rebuke that, or can you? Well, look, I think the idea that the president knows everything that's going on in the government is ludicrous. The, the government is huge, and, uh, and uh, there are many levels of authority between him and whoever may have done this. Uh, so I, I enjoy the humor that uh, Alan has just provided but, to us, but I don't think it's very factual. But Bob, no, 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 I'm actually, just, just, just to clarify, I mean, I'm amused because we have a history of the White House saying we're just hearing about it. In this case, I'm guessing they are just hearing about it because even this White House, even this White House is not that stupid. Well, but but wait a minute. But is if this you a mess? Say that without. I get shoving them in the ribs. Pulling the tongue out of the cheek might be nice. <laughs> strengthen your argument considerably. But wait a minute, Bob, Bob Hines. I mean, you know. We, we've heard of these conspiracies. I mean, we all remember when Watergate first broke, and they talk about this presidential and White House involvement in this crazy robbery down at the Watergate building. A lot of staunch Republican supporters of the White House said, that's absolutely incorrect. That's not true. That would never happen. No president would be that stupid. We come to find out that, oh, wait a minute. But as you pointed out, he was that paranoid. His sin was cover-up. Yeah. His sin was cover-up. Okay. It, 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 so is there a possibility that the White House is just scraping the idea of plausible deniability? Hey, look, they went off the reservation. I, I can't control. He's director of central intelligence. What, what's the upside for him? Listen, I am shocked. Shocked. I can't believe it. <laughs> this, this, this is just the, a rogue agency, probably. It just, you know, I don't know what they're doing it for. I have no idea. I can't imagine it makes any sense. And quite frankly, it's a stupid thing to do. Carl Tubin. After the NSA, and after all the all the things that have come out about the NSA, 
Maybe it's good that the CIA made this trip, if they made the trip, and, uh, uh, <clears throat> and sullied themselves. Now we can have reform of not just the NSA, but the possibility of reforming the CIA as well. Dan Lipner, let's, let's point at some of the great misses of the CIA, shall we? The CIA, recent history, missed the invasion of Ukraine. The CIA missed the, the Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. The CIA missed the collapse of the Soviet Union. Maybe it's because they've been paying attention to what's going on in the Senate, not what their actual job they are tasked Well, this is only recent. This is only recent. That's only recent. Well, that's that's another question now. That that, that is. What the heck are they doing here at domestic, you know, doing domestic spying? That's supposed to be no offense to the FBI, but that's the FBI's jurisdiction. Well, but the CIA's supposed to be overseas. Again, but the that, CIA is supposed to be overseas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody's going to be breaking into Senate computers. Damn it! It's going to be the FBI. Let's talk about the director for crying out loud. And Alex thinks they've done it anyway with him. Yeah, it's true. But no, no, but no, but Denise brings up a very good point is the charter, the enabling charter of the Central Intelligence Agency is for non-domestic intelligence gathering. <clears throat> domestic intelligence gathering, <clears throat> excuse me, is solely in the purview of federal law enforcement, not just the FBI. It is all law enforcement agencies that have investigative and intelligence gathering capabilities inside the borders of U.S. and its territories. Oh, I've always thought the Senate was kind of a foreign being anyway. So. <laughs> too collegial for you? Too collegial for you. Too collegial. Just foreign. Just foreign, yeah. And if anybody would know, it would be Alan Moore. But this, this, does, this does bring up, going back to what Carl was saying, Alan Moore, I'll go to you. You know, we're talking about another agency violating possibly its enabling charter and mission statement coming inside the borders of the United States and acting subversively against its own, its own oversight, thus being Congress. I, I, have, I have one sort of concluding statement. We don't know very much yet. We're not done yet. Before we're done, we're going to know a whole lot more about who did what. Does this thing go? Does this thing go to a committee investigation? Oh, absolutely. There'll be there'll be uh, committees of Congress that are going to be all over this for multiple reasons. Now is when the politics starts to emerge. We can defend Diane Feinstein's motives, I think, legitimately, but but that doesn't mean everyone else will have the same motives. There will be people rubbing their hands together with glee at the thought Wait till Daryl that Issa gets a hold of Oh, God. Oh, God. That the administration... He'll shut off the mic there. Just, just remember this. If you think that the, the, the House of Representatives security people, you know, Homeland Security Committee, isn't concerned about this, maybe they've been hacked into as well. Oh, for all we know, we could be seeing... We could be seeing uh, memos from Denise yeah. going around. I, I, I would like to point out that none of us around this table are actually actively suggesting that we don't think this occurred. All of us are more than tacitly accepting the plausibility of Now, the I, I am going to – no, no, no. I am actually going to, in total blind faith, going to stand by not so much the CIA, but the integrity of Director of, of, uh, Director of Central Intelligence, John Brennan. Brennan has been a patriot. Brennan has been, uh, he's made it a life service to do what he can to protect this nation from bad things happening. He is a true American. I find it hard to believe 
But he just that, got there. True. But also the supposed record that was deleted had to do with his activity in some of these inappropriate holding of foreign nationals. There is something to this. It, there is something that suggests his hands might actually be part of this. Is, the, is, the, the document that disappeared had to do with uh, Leon Panetta's leadership and a, a program that, he, that now Director Brennan was running. Is, is this something that could go all the way to the top at Langley, meaning could this cost Brennan his job? Yes. Is this, Alan Moore, something that you see could cause some heads to roll inside the White House? It, you know, it, it could cause all sorts of things. We don't know. Yes, it could be. It, depending upon what we learn, what details emerge, it could be massive problems for people in the CIA, anybody else in the chain who had knowledge or should have known. But wait a minute. But we don't know who they are yet. But, but regardless, regardless of who the players are, regardless of what comes out of this, which is not probably a good thing for the boys in Langley and the girls in Langley, the reality is you're already taking a totally stressed out, overused, and completely tired organization like the CIA, and you're, you're saying, all right, we're going to revamp it even more. We haven't put the funding, we haven't put the money or the time or the love into making CIA what it was pre-Cold War. You are assuming... We're going to revamp. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know what the facts are yet. We have to find out Wait. who did what, when they did it. Post-September post 11th, intelligence agencies got everything they asked for. We have the, the Department of Homeland Security because of this. A giant cat stuck the, but on the, the federal DHS budget. But the is not in its sole intelligence gathering organization. It is not. But it's I a law enforcement. They have intelligence components. CBP has intel. ICE has intel. Great. You know what? Department of Interior has an intelligence unit, as does the Department of Agriculture. And they all got everything they asked for for about 10 years. And, and there's plenty to suggest it was unneeded. It was... Was it unneeded? Absolutely. Well, let's put it this way. There are some parts of those intelligence agencies that still can't communicate with one another. Like the operational assets of CBP and Coast Guard still having a problem communicating with one another. Well, that, that, that is, that's a whole other subject. Yeah. That's not... That, that's, your assets that, are assets that are actually gathering intelligence can't communicate with one another, you got a problem. Carl Tubin? What we need to find out, and I'm sure it'll come out, is how far back does this go? Uh, Brendan is liable to say, "Listen, this was before me, uh, and and I I'm, I'm I'm not complicit in this situation." I mean, the one name we haven't heard brought up in this is Petraeus. Is is David Petraeus get another black eye off of this, Bob Hines? Well, if it was happening under his leadership, yes. It depends when it was when it happened. We don't know that yet. Uh, Dan Lipner. In actual, well, yes, the leadership of these agencies absolutely matter, but the the the, the real black eye is on all of us. It's the intel, it's the intelligence committees in both the House and Senate accepting because they're too afraid to actually raise a flag that maybe money is being misspent, and the fear factor was, and I've heard this rhetoric from everyone I meet both in politics and who works in the intelligence agencies that if anything bad happens and you are the person to say, 
maybe a little less money or something needs to be handled differently, you're the one that's blamed. Well, it's bad politics handling it. Congressman Al, I mean, Dan brings up a good point. When you were a member of Congress, you never really wanted to touch the funding, not that you were privy to it, you never sat on the Intelligence Committee or the no, Approach Committee for them, no, but, but as a rule, Congress never really wanted to touch the budget, decrease the budget, revamp the budget of any of the black ops uh, that were happening within the U.S. government, particularly within the intelligence community and CIA at Langley. What you have in a democracy is a very difficult problem of how do you have intelligence and keep the normal free uh, freedoms of people protected. Here's what we know. We've gone way afield of what information we have. Correct. We have a respected senator who said she believes this. This is very serious. It has to be looked into. It will be looked into. And then we will see if, uh, how much imagination is played out around this table uh, for the last 10 minutes uh, and how much uh, we should really be concerned about. Carl Tubin. There's another senator, too, and that is Senator Wyden, who was just on uh, TV uh, saying that there were misleading uh, statements and there were uh, all kinds of things. So evidently, she, he is backing Diane on this whole thing. You know, what, while we're talking about you know, revamping and intelligence mishaps and everything like that, uh, this brings up the case mm-hmm. of uh, Edward Snowden, who is still in Russia, the the, the treasonous lech that he is, or the whistleblower that he is, depending on how you look at it, he addressed a conference down in Austin, Texas called South by Southwest, and was largely received with applause and admiration by the liberals down in Austin, Texas. The, the liberals who also said he should go to jail, they're the poll taken of the crowd. Oh, really? Yeah. That, I did not see that poll. It, it, it was a 60-40 split, 64 said he was treasonous and should go to jail. <laughs> I mean, it, does, does the stuff that we're hearing right now with all the stuff we heard about NSA, does all the stuff that we've heard, especially what's coming out today about the CIA snooping around, Alan Moore, does this, does this vindicate Edward Snowden and make him more of a whistleblower and less treasonous or less of a traitor or less of a spy? It doesn't do squat about Edward Snowden. We don't know enough about it. I think it's time that we acknowledge that and then move on. This is a, oh, come on, we're supposed to do predictions. It's a commentary show. I, I, I disagree with Alan right here. There, there is enough history that if there's enough smoke in the same area repeatedly, and this includes all the intelligence agencies at NSA, CIA, and wherever else you want to look, that there has been plenty of misuse. This is just another cherry on top. Yes, it has not been confirmed yet, but it continues to suggest that, yes, there are people running amok, not doing what they should be doing, and taking the authority because you have a public that is legitimately frightened of bad actors, and then scaring them more with things that aren't real to then justify their existence and misusing their power. I made the mistake of responding to his question. Did it matter to Edward Snowden? If, I think if Snowden has 40% uh, support down at the, the, at the South by Southwest conference, that's probably his high watermark. <laughs> I think he might have 40% support at CPAC for the people who support Rand Paul. Oh, good Lord. Maybe. Okay, good Lord. Maybe, okay, we're getting off the reservation. We've we got to go to break anyway. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about 
the sexual abuse situation inside the military. In particular, we're going to talk about a botched Senate bill. Can we not call it a botched Senate bill until we discuss it? Yes. It did pass 97 to nothing. It, it, oh, didn't mean they were smart about it. <laughs> I, not we'll talk, as smart as you, obviously. I am smart, damn it. I'm Justin Russell. I'm your moderator. This is Backroom Politics Live from Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. We'll be back in four minutes. Stay with us. You know, here on Backroom Politics, you hear us order drinks uh, during happy hour, the second hour of Backroom Politics, live on Blog Talk Radio. But what you don't understand is the quality of the drink that we're getting here at Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Backroom Politics premier sponsor. Hey, you got Dave Hammerly and the bar crew there at Shelley's Backroom that really know how to pour a drink. Whether it's something simple like my on-air Jack Daniels on the rocks with a splash of water, or whether it's something elaborate like what has to be the best martini in the District of Columbia for Congressman Al Swift. Wine selection, scotch selection that will blow your mind. They've got Highland scotches. They've got Isla Sky scotches, blended, single malt, anything you want Port wines to go with that great cigar from the great humidor. Down here at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Come on down, have a drink, and make some new friends. Or, heck, just come on down and listen to Backroom Politics on Tuesdays.
Wow, a little bit of Fats Waller, Lulu back in town. And I, I tell you, when I am back in town or when any of my friends are back in town or, heck, when we're living here in town, we usually find ourselves down at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right across from the National Press Club. Why do we come here? Well, they've got the city's best cigar menu, the most diversified with some of the best-known brands and some that you might even know, but might want to give it a try. Everything from Arturo Fuentes down to Zeno. You can go all the way from your $9 little petite girly flavored cigars all the way up to the Opus X Lost City. They have a cigar for everybody. Mild, medium, strong, heavy. However you want to smoke it, it's available here at Shelly's Back Room. Come in, have Bob, Na, or any one of the girls show you what the right cigar might be for your taste that evening. Again, Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob likes to put it, it is definitely the place to be. You can tell the mailman not to call I ain't coming home until the fall And again I might not get back home at all Lulu's back in town Sponsored by Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., America's premier cigar tavern. Stay with us as the roundtable continues after we order our drinks, order our cigars, and get ready for the second hour of Backroom Politics. Stay with us. We'll be back in two minutes.
here live at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, joining me as they do every week, you know Congressman Al, Bob Hines, Alan Moore, Denise Krepp, Carl Tubin, and Dan Lipner. We're going to change the uh, scope a little bit. Um, for those who don't know, the Senate passed a bill dealing with the sexual harassment situation, the sexual abuse situation, which is a tragedy for America's military. They passed a bill that I think is botched. Uh, I don't think it covers the area. It does, it does all due respect to Senator Kristen Gillibrand. Uh, this is not the bill that should have gone forward. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the show and familiar with the website, uh, our regular Denise Krepp has written an article which is posted on backroompolitics.org. She's also uh, testified in front of several hearings regarding this situation. Denise, the bill that the Senate passed, and as Alan pointed out, it was not botched because I'm an idiot, and they obviously know what's going on. This bill itself was completely not what was expected or the ideal situation for those who suffer from sexual assault in the military. Is that accurate? It's accurate, Justin, but the problem... Is, has been that um, Senator McCaskill and Senator Ayotte relied on a Department of Defense panel recommendation. And what pro is problematic about that panel recommendation is that, that the panel members themselves were biased and the recommendation that they came out with was a complete whitewash. And I'm going to use those words because I testified on January 30th in public with C-SPAN there. But you know what day that panel recommendation um, came out? January 29th. They wrote it the day before, so they didn't even bother listening to those of us who support Senator Gillibrand. They never bothered to listen to the people who had been raped. All they wanted to do was say everything is working. So you, you've got that situation. And then let me, the other situation is you have members of the panel that have been out in public stating their opposition to Gillibrand. Well, if you're going to go public in your opposition, why should I expect you to be having a reasonable open mind when those of us who support Gillibrand come in and testify in front of you? But, Denise... You know, it, 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 it shocks me when we see situations like, for example, uh, the although there is some input from the victims on whether this should go either to a military court-martial or to a civilian court for justice, uh, it, takes, oh, it did not take away the idea of, well, look at what an American hero this person is, look at his military background, that should be considered in defense of this or as uh, mitigating circumstances regarding this. It, it just seems that a lot of the teeth that a lot of folks that were behind you and testified with you just came out wholeheartedly from the bill. Well, there were two bills that, that, uh, that came up for a vote. There was Senator Gillibrand's bill that, that was a 55-45, and then there was a Senator McCaskill bill that passed 97-0. You know, the good part about both of these pieces of legislation is it has raised the issue of sexual assault in the military. And so for both of those ladies, I have to give kudos because this issue wasn't on the forefront. Could there be more done? Absolutely. I'm very disappointed that Senator Gillibrand's legislation didn't pass, but there's still going to have to be legislation coming out of the House, and I'm hoping that her version is what the House passes. But if you look at it wholeheartedly, there is... Still, even in Senator Gillibrand's legislation, there's still some inherent weakness taking away from the greater issue of the 
sweeping under the carpet, the, the command staff pushing it into a dark corner. It's something that they just don't want to attack head on. But they've been called. They've been called kicking and screaming. Yeah, they've been called kicking and screaming. But Justin, I testified and I named names in front of C-SPAN. Not a single member of Congress has asked me to come in and to talk to him about it. I had an article that was uh, written about me in the Washington Post on Friday. It specifically referenced what happened and what I did and how I got fired for asking for an IG investigation. And again, not a single person has contacted me and said, hey, Denise, what are you talking about? What happened to you? Denise, I, I want to go back that, to that situation. You were fired, yes. according, according to your statement. Yes, I was. You were fired as general counsel at the Maritime Administration. Mm-hmm for calling out sexual abuse and sexual assault cases yes. at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy. Yes, I was. And how many, just at the Merchant Marine Academy that you can confirm, how many were you dealing with, and how many of those actually went to civilian court? None. How many of those saw a court at all? None. So, but you were fired for that. Why, why do you think you were fired for that? Because according to Secretary Ray LaHood, I had no right to send a letter to the, invest- to the IG asking for an investigation. It wasn't in my jurisdiction, and how dare I do that? Does that shock you, Alan Moore? It, it actually does shock me, but, but, but going forward from Denise's courage, Senator Gillibrand's leadership, we now have... Uh, by a vote of 97 to nothing, a whole set of major changes. Was it everything Denise wanted? No. Was it everything Gillibrand wanted? No. Would it have happened if they had not gotten out there, called attention, maintained attention, refused to say, no, we won't shut up? No. No. I say, way to go, you two and and others who, who spoke up. Um, you don't get everything you want when you legislate. They're talking about major changes, not as much as some wanted. We'll see how it plays out. I think what we're, one, one of the things we're seeing is, is the Pentagon, in its mind, dodged what it considered to be a bullet here. It really did not want to fully remove from the chain of command entirely decisions on whether to prosecute. That was a big point of, point of difference. I think what you're going to see now, and well, it remains to be seen, is that the, is the, the Pentagon leadership um, is, going, is, is going to be a lot less willing to sweep things under the rug. There's going to be more visibility. It's been interesting to hear Senator Claire McCaskill, who's no toady. She was a prosecutor. She sits on the Armed Services Committee. She was very actively engaged. It obviously pains her a great deal that she and Gillibrand got crossways with this at the end. But I, I say a lot happened here, and, and a lot of change is, is in the air. It will remain to be seen how it all plays out, but a whole new crowd is going to be watching every step inside the Pentagon. Congressman now. There's a mentality in the military. <clears throat> that should give one pause when you try to get them to change. Uh, let, me, let me tell you a, a story that has nothing to do with sexual harassment. Uh, the Navy wanted to put a home port in Everett in my district.
strongly for it. And we were working with the Navy, and we sat the Navy down, and they said, let's tell you a couple of things about this area. One, in Washington State, you don't screw around with environmental impact statements. I mean, that's just the nature of the thing. So, so don't short-circuit them, do it, and, and you'll be all right. Secondly, uh, because an Indian reservation was involved, don't take on the Indians. Uh, they haven't lost a, a, a case in court twenty years. So you would be better to go ahead and sit down and go through the process of negotiating with them and you should not do anything to short circuit the uh, environmental process. They listened to us very politely, thanked us very much, and did both of the things we advised them they should not do. And delayed the process of building that thing for about five years because they were in court fighting Indians. They lost, and they short-circuited the environmental protection requirements uh, and had to go back and do it over again. So I got the impression that these guys have their minds made up about almost everything, and they do not pay any attention to those that would suggest otherwise. And, and the, the problem is that it's been good for everybody else in the past, therefore it should be good in the future. You know, what, what struck me was that one of the ladies that was testifying next to me uh, was most like in, you know, my mother's chain in command in the Army in the late uh, 1960s when the Women's Army Corps was uh, separate from the, from the men. And, you know, she came out and said, look, there were problems when I came in the 1950s, there were problems that came in the 1960s, there were problems in the 1970s, others talked about 80s, 90s, and 2000s, and we, we talked about this, and yet the panel came out and said, everything's fine. Thinking, you are just giving the military an opportunity to keep doing what they shouldn't be doing, and I agree with you, Congressman. They need to change the mentality, and if for no other reason than those of us who are veterans are getting tired of people asking us, so did you sexually assault somebody? Are all women in the military sexually assaulted? We are not. And it's tarnishing all of us. Denise, you know, it, 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 when we look at the military, okay, the, the military has the Uniform Code of Military Justice. It has its own military judicial programs and process. Uh, when you are in the military, even as a cadet at the academy, you fall, and no matter what uniform service, you could be in NOAA, and you still fall under the UCMJ. You could be a cadet at the Merchant Marine Academy, you're still under the UCMJ. There are those in military circles, including several Japs, that believe that if left to its own devices, the military does, will, and continue to find justice for those who become uh, victims of sexual assault in uniform. Why is it that we have to involve civilian sector into what should be an in-house military process. But Justin, Gilbert's legislation doesn't ask for civilian oversight. What it says is leave it to the military jacks. I mean, I am the only military jag that has come forward and supported Gilbert. 
the others are all saying they support McCaskill and opposing it. And I think they're opposing it, one, because they've never considered any other, you know, oper- you know, any other ways to do this. And two, what I have found with retired admirals and generals is they don't like to talk badly about anybody else who's currently in the service. They all like to protect themselves, and there's a lot of circling of the wagon that's going on right now. So, uh, Denise, there's, there's a fine line here, and it's a delicate line that we're dealing with when we talk about sexual assault. You know, there are some in several women's organizations saying, look, why are we not focusing on, why are we not focusing on the greater sexual assault debate? Why are we just focusing on the military? Why don't we put more into education, more into training, more into prevention, if you will? This seems like a band-aid, I'm just saying what some have said, this seems like a band-aid to a much greater, more troublesome situation. Congressman Al? We're not talking just about that. In fact, this, this isn't really about sexual harassment. This is about whether or not you can get the military to change its thinking in key areas. And it would apply just as well. I, 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 I won't take the time, but I've got a story on base closures that demonstrates exactly the same thing that happened to me. When I was in Congress. And so it's it's that they've, they've done it one way since George Washington led the army, and they aren't going to change unless you really hammer them. And this is the issue that may be the, the, the hammer. Dan Lipner? Well, let's keep track of what's actually going on in the news right now. The, the, I believe it's the Army General who is in charge of oversight on this is currently accused of having not one, but multiple victims and, and crimes committed against soldiers underneath his command, and he was supposed to be the chief person stopping this. The suggestion that the chain of command can be left to their own devices on this particular issue, all evidence suggests is absolutely wrong. But, but okay, but what you're then thinking is, using that, that, that train of thought, is that, look, the, the head general in charge of sexual assault cases in the army, if he in fact is a, uh, is in fact an accused... He's already pled guilty to some of the charges, so this is no longer just No, 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 you're mixing cases. There are two cases going on. There's one case that's going on in Fort Bragg, North Carolina with General Sinclair, where they found, uh, the judge said there was unlawful command influence, and I, I don't know what happened this morning, but it was so bad that he went to the defense attorneys and said, uh, because of the, the level of unlawful command influence, we will give you the right to either retry this case or give you the right to proceed. Now, that is highly, highly unusual for that to have occurred. So that happened in Fort Bragg. Why is that unusual? In the middle of a trial, well, first of all, it's not unusual anymore to have the claim of um, unlawful command influence because... You're seeing that more and more uh, with this case, with, with Navy, and it's because we don't yet have a system. I mean, some people are now saying because the president came out and said, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to go to the military and change them for you, that that is the ultimate and unlawful command influence. And that's what we're going to continue to have until we figure out what the system looks like and how we correct but, it. But, but Denise, and, and again, I'm just playing point counterpoint from some of the advocates that say that the, the military justice system, in fact, does work. 
when you when you look at these cases where there is un, unlawful or um, I'm trying to find the right word for it, but when there is undue command influence from, let's say, a base commanding general at Fort Bragg, there are steps and remedies that the flag commands, that the flag uh, officers, generals and admirals, have the ability to go out and find justice for those flag officers. That's that only if they're they willing are. to do so. And do we want to start talking about the word that I'm not supposed to be talking about on air that one Army colonel wrote in into an email to General Sinclair and was still promoted twice? I don't think I'm supposed to be saying that word, am I? What word? Masturbation. No, you can say masturbation. Okay, okay. Okay, great, because in an email... The colonel said that about a sitting member of Congress, Renee Elmers. And his excuse was, I'm sorry for delaying my response to you, but I was masturbating. Okay, he was promoted twice. So if you think that anybody believes that I'm going to trust some of these idiots, I'm not. Alan Moore? Well, by the way, we've said masturbation more on this show than we have in the three years we've been on the air. But okay, go forward. The last thing I'm going to do is defend a guy who says something to another guy in boy-to-boy talk, which is inappropriate. (laughs) I don't want to mention that word anymore. He's got the quote in his But But let's not call that sexual assault. That's just stupidity. It's just being stupid. Boys are boys. Locker room stuff. Look, if, if... if all I'm saying is, is that it is stupid. It, in my mind, does not constitute sexual assault. There's an enormous amount of sexual assault out there, and women who are directly at, attacked, assaulted, raped, groped, um, Talk to, talk to directly. That's what we're talking about, not what one guy says to another in government email, might have been a government phone, might have been on government property, inappropriate about a congressman. I think that's two different things. But yeah, hold on, the congressman out. But you see, Alan, this is boys being boys, and people forgiving them because it's just boys being boys. Wait, are you going to punish boys for talking about women behind the scenes? Is that where we're going now? In official emails. uh, About a sitting member of Congress? Absolutely. Do you honestly think I'm going to trust this Yahoo who thinks that there's no problem saying this? And his boss that's saying, geez, you shouldn't have said that? You shouldn't be thinking about these things? You know what, Denise... Denise, oh my I, God. I absolutely commend you for your take on sexual assault. However, there is a fine line. If I if I use the F word, which I use as the daily force... But I'm not saying that that is sexual assault. What I'm saying is it's highly inappropriate behavior, and it gives the perception if you ever well, have to... Because you've been court-martialed a million times in some of the emails I put out as a member of the U.S. Coast Guard, Ron... We're on DHS email. No, no, no. no. Let's, let's, the MPs. No, let's actually engage in this work. Denise is absolutely right. As far as the starting point, the pendulum always swings. And right now, the boys being boys defense. And not that it, there is not 
some modicum of merit to that. However, that statement has been used to defend the bad actions that are actually creates victims. But I didn't. Don't accuse me of that. All I'm saying is when two guys are talking to each other inappropriately sexually, that is all I'm talking about is not sexual assault. Well, and, I, and I don't think anyone at this table disagrees with you, Alan. But the, the actual you're, you're doing a good job of <laughs> making me think so. The actual point of this is pointing out that the rhetoric and everything else attached to it actually creates an overall perception that Women are, are second-class citizens in the military, and when they are victims, they are not treated as such. That the boys behaving badly, whatever the case might be, whether or not it's, it's actually the actual crime of sexual assault or something that is further down the spectrum that's not quite as bad, the idea that you can still get away with it, still raising the issue of the rhetoric in an official government email that is actually somewhat on point suggests that maybe there's something more that needs to be addressed here, that the overall not taking it seriously in the military is something that really needs to be engaged in. No, 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 no. But what, I, what I will say is, and, and again, this is, this is the slippery slope that we go down. There is there's an absolute crisis inside today's military that, that allows victims of sexual assault, both male and female, by the way. Let me tell you something. There have been several cases where female lieutenant colonels have sexually assaulted enlisted members in their command. There have been female, uh, there have been female, female um, aggressors, and have, and have created hostile environments in their command because of their rights. This is not a male versus female thing. This is an aggressor versus victim. And the bottom line here, though, is we get into a slippery slope of every time. We send out an email on a government computer. The voice, the, there is a certain boys being boys defense, but the reality is, at what point do we stop? Well, you use the common sense. You, you, we haven't started, and if you're going to tell me that common sense doesn't dictate what you're writing, oh my, oh my, let's just leave it there. Oh my. Right, let's get back. To, let's get back to legislation real quick, because uh, we got we got we got three more minutes in the in this segment. Denise, you, you testified in front of several committees. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is that neither one of the legislations truly or does one of the pieces of legislation, does it truly address the overall broader situation according to your view? I, I'm not going to say that. McCaskill and Gillibrand working together have, has brought this issue to a greater attention than it's ever had uh, in the past 20 years. Do I think McCaskill's bill goes far enough? No, I don't. But I'm smart enough to say you brought it to the attention of the American public, and for that, I thank you. Do I really hope that more is done? Absolutely, because we need to continue this dialogue. This is not something that we need to let go and say we dealt with it. And that, that's one of my biggest concerns, because the military told this, these panels that have, you know, that have been collecting testimony that everything's fine. We're doing all these things. Trust us. Everything is working. Without due diligence and without oversight, this has the possibility of going under the rug again, and we can't let that happen. All right. Uh by the way, if you want to read more about this, Denise Kraft's article is on our website at www.backroompolitics.org. I urge everybody to take a look at it, make your own decisions, but it's a, it's a very compelling, compelling uh, article that she wrote. Uh, with that, we're going to take a break. When we come back, and by the way, I just want for the record, I think, I think uh, Alan Moore is a very distinguished and handsome gentleman. 
I think you're a lech, Dan. <laughs> How dare you accuse such a such a handsome and distinguished fellow? I, I think Alex may attract it too. Whoa, that's a hostile environment, dude. Uh, when we come back, I would too. Uh, when we come back, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the race going on down in Florida's 13th congressional district, where lobbyist versus political insider gets really heated up as they go to the polls today. We're going to talk Jolly versus Safe in three minutes. This is Back from Politics on Blog Talk Radio. Wow, a little bit of fat Waller. Lulu back in town. And I, I tell you, when I am back in town or when any of my friends are back in town or, heck, when we're living here in town, we usually find ourselves down at Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., right across from the National Press Club. Why do we come here? Well, they've got the city's best cigar menu, the most diversified with some of the best-known brands and some that you might even know, but might want to give it a try. Everything from Arturo Fuentes down to Zeno. You can go all the way from your $9 little petite girly flavored cigars all the way up to the Opus X Lost City. They have a cigar for everybody. Mild, medium, strong, heavy. However you want to smoke it, it's available here at Shelly's Back Room. Come in, have Bob, Nah, or any one of the girls show you what the right cigar might be for your taste that evening. Again, Shelly's Back Room, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. As Bob likes to put it, it is definitely the place to be. You can tell the mailman not to call I ain't coming home until the fall And again I might not get back home at all Lulu's back in town yeah. trying to get by. Touche. Wow, that was 
by way of our producer, Brent Sullivan, in finally from the great wild confines of Syracuse University. Let's go orange. Yo, shut up. Uh, I'll go um, So anyway, so there is a congressional race, a special election down in Florida's 13th Congressional District. This is to fill the seat of the great, great station that was Chairman Bill Young. Uh, so you have on one side the Republicans, David Jolly, former lobbyist, former insider, former big-time swinging mule up in uh, Tallahassee in Washington political circles. And, <laughs> God, you know something? I really don't even want to picture this. We have Congressman Al doing weird stuff right now, and it's about to get real smoky here. Um, let's see. Real quick, Zia, can you ask, uh, or, or can you, can you ask one of the girls to get the thing cranked up real quick? This is going to get ugly real quick. And Alan Moore has been so kind over the past three years of not dealing with the cigar smoke. Alan's against big tobacco. No, Alan's in favor of big tobacco. He just doesn't want it in space. So, Alan. I don't like big tobacco, but I can tolerate it. You can tolerate it. Alan, let's talk about the 13th Congressional District where we have the Democrat, Alex Singh, who's a longtime political uh, inside Tallahassee. Uh, everybody's focused on this race as something that could be a precursor to the midterms in November. Are they blowing this out of proportion, or is this really something that's got the Democrats and Republicans nervous? Well, this is an amusing one. Whoever wins, and it looks like a toss-up, whichever party wins is going to say it was going to claim massive significance, and whoever loses is going to say, eh, unique circumstance, no big deal. Um, and and it, it's going to be an important victory for somebody, but it's not going to be a game changer. It's just not that big. We've got, we've got a stronger candidate, better known candidate on the Democratic side. She actually, between her own money, which is about twice as much as Jolly had, and outside money, is going to outspend this guy Jolly by about a five to four ratio. And what do we mean five to four? We're talking $9 million and counting for this little congressional campaign. It's a, it's a strange one. I mean, obviously a lot of money is being invested, but I think that, that it, the only way it would become particularly significant is if it's a lopsided victory one side or the other. I don't expect well, that. Well, Bob Hines, you know, I mean, first of all, it's going to be hard to fill the shoes of, of the great congressman that was Bill Young. I mean, the, the guy ran armed services out of that district for years. But when you look at this race, this normally would not be something that would get the national attention, let alone having Politico giving you direct insider uh, results real time. Why is it that we're seeing $9 million being spent on a congressional race that is marginal for a junior member of the House? Well, Basically, I agree with Alan. The fact of the matter is that uh, it's, a, it's a seat that the uh, demographics have changed a little bit in the past few years. Bill Young was able to uh, keep a very strong base there. This is, the, this is an opportunity for the Democrats. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be a close race. I'm sure it's going to be a close race. But I don't think it's going to be a big – it's going to particularly portend anything – about what's going to happen in November. 
I think it's far too early to say anything about it. It's a local fight, and I think it's going to be a very close one, and that's all it is. But Dan Wagner, you would think that this race would throw the balance of power in the House of Representatives into a tailspin. It's not even close. Well, let, let's, well that's not true. We're talking about a 17-seat majority. This is not exactly a... This is, one, this is one seat in a purple county in Florida that can go depending on the wind blow. Well, but this is one of the reasons you have to understand how Florida is. Florida's a weird state. Yeah, tell me about it. So <laughs> as, as a veteran of, uh, of several campaign cycles in Florida, uh, North Florida is the South. South Florida is the Northeast. Central Florida is the Midwest. And the I-4 quarter is where campaigns are won and lost. So it, gives, it does give a bit of a canary in the coal mine to how campaigns can work in other parts of the country. Florida frequently predicts other parts of how campaigns work. And the I-4 quarter, which ranges from Daytona Beach all the way down to Pinellas County in St. Petersburg, which, which is where this campaign is taking place. And keeping track of that, and you, you have two interesting candidates um, with, with, which standing on their own are probably not that noteworthy. But the fact that everyone is paying attention to this suggests that both sides realize that the House is actually in play, just like the Senate's in play. Congressman Al, do you agree with that? Does this one seat say that the House is quote-unquote in play? My view is that this is drawing all of the attention that it's drawing because it's the only game this year. You know, the media... Other than the big midterms in November. The media can't... Well, strike this year. It's the only <laughs> one that's coming up this day. Okay. okay. There we go. Okay. Does that make you happy? That makes me very okay. happy. Thank you, right. <clears throat> the, the media you know, feels like it's got to report something important, and if the only thing going on isn't very important, they make it important. And so they're, they're, they're drawing all kinds of things. Everything that's been said about it could be true. I mean, around this table right now, could be true. It could prove to demonstrate those things. The chances are, I think, small that it will prove anything. Uh, the truest thing that's been said here is by Alan, who obviously has watched a campaign or two before, who, who says that it will probably be very narrow, but the uh, winner will claim that they've just won the world, and the uh, loser will say, not important anyway. You know, so. Uh, uh, Carl Tubin. A couple of things. Uh, number one, uh, Senator reported that Charlie has ran a not a very good campaign. Um, the um, head of the election board sent out absentee ballots to to all the people in the count in the uh, congressional district. Um, the absentee ballots came back: uh, 53 Republican, 47 um, Democratic. Sink's campaign has been very very good. Uh, if she wins, it might stop a lot of big money from going to other congressional candidates. Might. Um, Where did you get that from, Carl? Uh, because they might be discouraged of, of, uh, of, of putting a lot of money into some of these races when they see that a close race in a Republican district was lost. Uh, that, comes, that comes from Democratic dream world. <laughs> It might be Demo it might be Democratic dream world, but it might become a reality. I would, wow. I, I would sus suspect 
that rather than uh, if if the Democrats did win, rather than uh, having the big money start putting it, keeping it, itself in its owner's pocket, I would suspect more and more will be coming out. But I, I, Congressional, I mean, literally, the political focus of everybody right now is in this little tiny district on the west coast of Florida, and you'd make it think that it was presidential election redo. Uh, Alex Sink is a very accomplished politician in her own right. Her late husband, Bill McBride, ran for governor, put up a strong showing, as strong as you could against Jeb Bush at the time, uh, but comes from a very strong political family. David Jolly can raise all the money he can as a lobbyist, and a lot of lobbyists have backed him here in Washington, D.C., but it still doesn't change the situation of there's going to be big money put into any congressional race if it means that, hey, I can possibly, even by one vote, get more of a majority or less of a majority for the Republicans in the House. Yes, because it's the only game in town today. Do you concur with uh, Do you concur with Carl's vision that there may not this may decide whether big money goes in the congressional campaigns or at least close campaigns in the future? It could. So much of that would depend on exactly, you know, on a, on a very detailed analysis of where votes were won and where votes were lost, and so it, it, you, you pointed out that you got three Floridas, and they're probably going to analyze how each one did in each of those three Floridas. Well, the, the, this, this district is Central Florida, pretty exclusively Central Florida. Florida just went through a, re, a off-year redistricting uh, that kind of change the dynamics in Florida a little bit and suggest that nonpartisan redistricting is a good thing, but that's a larger issue. Well, and thanks for correcting me, but the point I'm making, and see if you agree with this, the point I'm making is it's going to take a detailed analysis of the election returns, whether it's one vote or 5,000 votes or whatever, before the big money is going to decide this is a smart place to go. Well, it's also a bigger issue to that. Let's, let's, let's keep in mind that Without Florida, there there is no winning presidential math for Republicans. So everything counts. And having one less seat and one less voice arguing for the Republican point of view in Florida is going to matter for the 2015 cycle. I know we're not going to talk about 2015 until 2014 is done, but well, why the, not? Why we do it here all week? What are you yeah. talking about? Though? Losing the high score quarter for Republicans is a disaster. And they're probably going to lose the governor's race uh, coming up. And there's, this is the real whoa, issue. Whoa, 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 whoa. We're getting off topic here. But you think Rick Scott is going to lose Florida? Absolutely. Wow, I want to bet you on that one. And Bob will tell you, I'm good at paying back my bet. Get in line. But the funny thing is, I mean, being somebody, everybody knows I'm from Florida, came up here through Florida politics. The interesting thing in my mind about this race is the dynamic that it's Pinellas County. This is a section of Florida that we call God's waiting room. Basically, people go there, retire, and they check out from res residents of St. Petersburg. The reality is, this is a, nobody can really predict what the voter turnout's going to be. If you get a bunch of retirees that are bust in, you could see upwards of 30, 35 percent. 
or if they're just disenfranchised or there's a great bunko game going on at the clubhouse, they, in fact, will not show up. We can see 14 18% return. Dan, you disagree? Well, this is one of these things that's kind of under the radar. So this is the first test case for the OFA mechanism being utilized in a non-presidential year. What is the OFA? The, the Obama for President, or Obama for America, excuse me, uh, infrastructure, which was, was asleep at the wheel in 2010 which, when everything was lost. But in this is the first time that they're put, putting the mechanism and the Obama get out the vote infrastructure to work. And there's a very active method, uh, very active utilization of it for Senate races being used cross-country for Senate races to make sure we hold the Senate. But this is the first test run of seeing whether or not to get out the vote effort that Obama, with I think both Democrats and Republicans have to acknowledge, was spectacular for, for drop-off voters, people who don't typically turn out, to show up. And if that works, there is something for Republicans to be worried about. Alan Moore, I mean, does, does, the, does the, the Obama political machine, as we know it, the David Plouffe, the David Axelrod, and the, uh, the rest of that Chicago political machine, does that worry Republicans? Is this really something that they need to be cognizant of going into the midterms? I don't know about the midterms. It's got to scare the hell out of them for 2016. It's not like these guys have forgotten everything they're doing. Um, and it's probably going to, they'll probably drag it out in a number of, of, of close races in 2014. But yeah, they, they took this, uh, this technical approach to new levels of sophistication were remarkably effective. And, uh, but I don't know that in the bigger scope, it's going to make a huge difference in 2014. The, I, don't, I just don't know that the money's there for that kind of approach for 2014. It'll now, definitely be there. No, 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 I know that. But, but a lot of that is this independent third-party spending that, uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that is not always the most efficiently spent. 2016, no question. 2014 remains to be seen. But it clearly has Republicans' attention, and they're doing a lot of mad scrambling to try to improve their own level of sophistication on, uh, on targeting, identifying, getting out the vote stuff. Bob Hines, when we look at, when we look at the $9 million being spent on this race, uh, that seems to me to be a little bit excessive on the, uh, on the issue of a non true cycle election, a special election, if you will. When, when you look at this, is this setting a bad precedence for elections as a whole going down? Is this a money buy versus a grassroots effort to get the vote out? No, I don't think so. I mean, look what's going on here. You've got a situation where you've had a Republican in there for years and years and years. Now, the Democrats have got a very good candidate. She is highly, highly liked in the area. She's well-known. She's well-financed. And I think what you see is the Republicans are responding. They, you know, other, under normal circumstances, if Bill Young was running again, I think he'd probably win relatively easily. The fact of the matter is he's, he's deceased. There's a special election. And the Democrats have thrown a whole lot of effort into it, and the Republicans are responding. I don't think it's any more than that. And I don't think I don't think it's a it's a harbor, necessarily a harbinger for anything in the future, except there's going to be a lot of money spent in this in this off year election, maybe more than most. 
We're going to go around the table real quick. Congressman Al, are you familiar with the race? Not really. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> Bob Hines. Alex Sinker. That doesn't keep me from having an opinion. All right, so <laughs> Congressman Al, Sinker Jolly, who wins this one? The, uh, the, the woman's going to win it. Alex Sinker. Bob Hines? I think it's too close to call. Alan Moore. I'm going to guess that it's Sink who went, who prevails. She's got more money and she's a, a stronger candidate. I'm intrigued that it's appearing that it's coming down as close as it is. Denise Kraft. Sink. Sink. Carl Thuvin and Dan Lipner. Alex Sink, absolutely. The correct answer is Alex Sink. Alex Sink wins in a bigger landslide than anybody gives her credit for. She's a strong candidate. Although I like David Jolly, but nah, I think Alex Sink takes it. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about CPAC. CPAC was in town, for those of you who may have missed it or for those of you who actually cared about it. Uh, and it was a big show for Rand Paul and some of the real big fringe in the Republican Party. This is Backroom Politics, live from Shelley's Backroom on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. You know, you hear us talk about Shelley's Backroom, 1331 F Street in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., being the place to be, America's premier cigar tavern, place to make new friends or visit old friends, or even have a lively political discussion like we do here on Backroom Politics. But what you may not know, Shelley's is the place for private parties. Shelley's Backroom is available to host events for groups of 10 to 250. From cocktail receptions to sit-down dinners, Shelley's can provide custom menu options to suit your needs and budget. Although Shelley's is a smoke-friendly environment, Shelley's can make accommodations for non-smokers based on the side of your party, but heck, why would you want to? With a cigar menu like they have here, why would you even consider going smoke-free? Event pricing varies based on the time of the day of the week chosen for your event. For more information on private parties at Shelley's Backroom, Go to www.shellysbackroom.com slash private-party. Shelly's Backroom, the place to be, as Bob likes to say it. It's also the place for private parties. Instructing one of the young people that are visiting us that this is not the way to do a radio program. 
Listeners don't know what's going on, but this is more chaotic than you. I'm guessing she figured that out on her own, Al, but it was nice of you to reaffirm her. Thanks for telling all our listeners now that it's a flaming, raging train wreck. What, what, is this telling the story? No, no, no. Well, if you keep going, it might be. I don't know, it's out. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, okay. you got people knocking on the window? Oh, what the hell? Oh, yes. What, 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 what were you asking me? I, I forget now. I forgot the answer, too. Well, by the way, in five minutes, um, is CPAC still re- relevant? Bob Hines, is CPAC still relevant in this, today's world? Unfortunately, yes. It is relevant. Why do you say unfortunately? Well, because, you know, I... As a Republican, I'm always concerned about trying to enlarge the base, if you will, and trying to enlarge the uh, support for the Republican principles. Uh, the Tea Party people seem to be uh, people who are, and, and I'm not, I would say this, I'm you know, not necessarily disagree with the, the things they want to have happen with respect to the government and how it's run, how big it is, what policies are being run, but the way they do it, their, their inability to, uh, to understand that you have to negotiate. You can't just say my way or the highway and then walk away. And unfortunately, that, that seems to be uh, a continuing process within the, within the, within the, uh, uh, the Tea Party people. I, you know, I, I don't disagree with their, much of what, what they say they want to achieve. I have a heck of a hard time understanding how they think they can possibly get there by standing off in the corner and just bombs. And at the Democrat at the table, I feel a little awkward saying this, but distinguishing the Tea Party from the conservative CPAC, I think, matters. And the Ron Paul folks, uh, excuse me, Rand Paul folks, <laughs> um, who, and Rand Paul intrigues me in a bunch of different ways. Uh, the Tea Party people I consider an uninformed batch of folks that have an interesting take on American history that need that does not apply in the real world. However, they are a political they are a political beast that needs to be reckoned with. The CPAC, on the other hand, the fact that Rand Paul won the straw poll there and the basis of his isolationist, I think is overstating it, but a some a somewhat more realistic view of American foreign policy as well as a legitimate fear of the intelligence state is where a lot of the folks that support Rand Paul stand for, or where they stand, and it needs to be taken seriously. And it's not just the conservatives that see this. This is something that the, the radical center um, needs to be paying attention to. Yeah, but, you know, what, what's funny to me, and for those of you who don't realize, CPAC is conservative political action. Uh, what does LASI stand for? I want to say conference, but I know that's not it. Uh, but CPAC is basically an annual gathering of relatively young, seriously conservative folks, and it's an opportunity for Republicans to come out and show their true colors to those that would be leaning towards a libertarian or Tea Party-esque type, uh, type voting record. The reality is CPAC, it, it almost seems to me, and, and, and Bob Hines, correct me if I'm wrong, CPAC has almost become a Tea Party convention unto itself. It's their own version of the RNC that happens every year. Is that, is that, is that not fair to CPAC? 
Well, that that may be a little bit strong, but uh, there are uh, there are indications that, in, in my mind, there are indications is there. The evangelical right is yeah. no place to be found at yeah. CPAC. It, no. it, it, it is libertarians and yeah. people who have a different perspective on government. The, evang the evangelical right that is generally at place when you're talking about the Republican Party, they're not they're not present in any meaningful way. No. We don't see you know we don't see anything that looks like CPAC on the uh, on the Democratic side. Uh, it, it just seems that this further shows the splintering of the Republican Party. Well, let's just say as a Democrat, I always enjoy watching CPAC and seeing what people are saying, because what they're going to say will be repeated repeatedly over the next couple of months. So it kind of gives us the advance on uh, what they're going to say and how we're going to rebut it. Alan Moore? Well, let's acknowledge that the Democrats don't have any like anything like this, because they're a small, controlled tent, and the Republicans are trying to be a very big tent. A con oh, 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 gosh. Oh, golly. Uh, a controlled tent? That, that's who the Republicans are? Oh, oh my goodness. The Democrats don't have anything like this because they're a small, narrow-minded group, and the Republicans have the Tea Party, and they got CPAC, and they got, they got a handful of moderates, so they're trying to build a big tent, right? They're all with like to address We may have a big tent, but somebody's pulled down the tent poles. Well, all would like <laughs> let's, let's not forget what Will Rogers said a long time ago. I don't belong to any organized party. I'm a Democrat. And let me tell you, as far as CPAC is concerned, I loved Rand Paul and his, his talk. I loved Rick Perry, who, was, who has um, reinvented himself as this strong, you know, can I expect you to vote Republican? And I love, and I love, and I love Princess Sarah Palin. I'm glad she came and talked to the convention no, that know, evening. Sarah Palin can see Crimea from her house. Right, uh, right, uh, right. She, she also apparently read a book, Green Eggs and Ham, and she read it to the entire audience. Yeah, she redid it. That was for Democrats who are watching in from the outside. Oh, plagiarism, plagiarism. That's so great. Now we're going to see. Why is it off now? Hey, yeah, she did. So the reality is, uh, Rand Paul and the straw, Rand Paul and the straw poll took the feedback straw poll for president convention with some distance, with some distance, thirty percent. The closest were uh, Chris Christie. Uh, the closest also was um, the, 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 the doctor. No, no, the doctor Ben Cardin. Out of Maryland, uh, and, and no, Corson, Corson, not Cardin, uh, not Cardin, uh, yeah, uh, Corson, Cor Carson, 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 Ben Carson, that's the thank you. Uh, Chris Christie had a six percent shown. He beat oh, Jeb Bush, okay. which to me, Jeb Bush got less than one percent at CPAC. Did he speak at CPAC? No, he did not. Good for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little upset that that Chris Christie got six percent. <laughs> I'm a little bit shocked by this, actually. It's hard to it's hard. Let's acknowledge that it's hard to get votes at CPAC if you don't show up. <laughs> <laughs> Christy showed up, though. Christy showed up. you got to give him credit. That's his 6%. That's it. Right up. Right up. Jim didn't show up. But I did. You know who else got votes? Jim DeMint. Jim DeMint got votes. A write-in. A write-in. Getting the CPAC was remarkably difficult, and Christy could have done better if the traffic issues weren't quite as bad. 
There's a bridge you have to cross to get over there, and sometimes it's a problem. No, they got lost going to Southern Maryland. That's what happened. <laughs> Ten minutes left in the show. It's not the right favorite part of the show. The end. The end. <laughs> <laughs> this one. This is going to raise you from your ass. Freaking sleep. We lost total control. Water. You guys so anyway. Going around the political circles. Uh, Congressman Al, do I really want to start with you? Tell me a story. I will tell you a story. One of the most amazing things about this program is that it ever got off the air because somebody just moved the microphone and almost knocked the glass over. That's part of the problem today. <laughs> People don't know how much you do. as They, they hear you, you know, talking loud and, uh, and, and, and saying opinions. Laugh up chuckles. You you also run volume. You also turn on mics and off mics. You you take telephone calls. You 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 basically load up what the issues are. You do a remarkable job of of running this program, and I want to say that with no laugh line connected with it. Thanks, mom. Today, today I didn't phone in. Uh, 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 <laughs> For those of you who are listening, that is a very inside joke here at Backroom Politics. We'll tell you sometime. My favorite kind. But uh, we have had a, an absolutely chaotic experience here, and we've all behaved ourselves as well as we can. Which is yourself. Which isn't saying much, and uh, and and I want to congratulate you and thank you for all you do to make this program uh, get on the air at all. Thank thank, thank you, you, Congressman Al. That's very kind of you to say. Thank you very much, uh, Bob Hines. Inflate my ego even more. I refuse to. Okay, tell now, me a story then. Something very interesting is happening in in the Senate. Uh, the majority leader is actually believing that he might let some legislation come to the floor under regular order. What? Yes. Stop your nonsense. Well, it's amazing. There, oh, my God. Uh, How do you speak? I do. I'm, I'm amazed by it. There is a child care program bill uh, coming, looking up, coming to the Senate, and he, Mr. Reed, the majority leader, has agreed that it can come up and there can be, it can be amended, and uh, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to stop the amendments from coming from any place. And he's going to let the bill go to the floor and let the floor managers manage the bill on a Republican and a Democratic side. And it, it's, it's one of the few times in the last four or five years that Mr. Reed has let anybody talk but himself and his own people. I hope it was, it's a lesson that he might decide that it's a good idea to let the, the operation of the Senate work the way it's supposed to work. You know, you know what? I want a pink unicorn, too. Uh, Alan Moore, 
Well, it, it, interesting we're talking about Harry Reid because I also wanted to talk about Harry. I haven't talked about him for a while. Uh, the, the deal that, that, that Bob is talking about is very important, and it was put together by, by two other senators, Chuck Schumer, uh, one, of the, one of the deputies to, to Reid, and Lamar Alexander. Um, I give them a lot more credit than I give Reid. Reid, still again uh, this week, has, uh, resort, has gone back to some of his favorite Joe McCarthy tactics. He, 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 he took on he he from the from the floor of the United States Senate in his role as Senate Majority Leader did did a couple things. He called the Koch brothers un-American and then said the Koch brothers are un-American and said that every story every horror story they've told about Obamacare is a lie. Um, which, in his, which, in it, which in itself is a lie, and he came back a little bit later to say, well, okay, what I meant was the vast, vast majority of the Obamacare horror stories are lies. This guy is not helping the Democratic Party. This is the guy who called President Bush a loser and a liar. This is the guy who refuses to bring up trade promotion authority that, that was in the president's, one of his priorities. Harry Reid is a major problem for the Democrats. It's time for him to, to shut up or change jobs. Wow. Denise Kraft, we got five minutes left. I'd like Quickly. to talk about two religious leaders. This Thursday, Pope Francis celebrates his one-year anniversary as being Pope. As a Catholic, I am absolutely thrilled with what he's done in this past year, and I'm excited to see what he's about to do in the next year. Sadly, Leo Breholtz passed away this weekend. He, uh, he was a survivor of Auschwitz. He jumped out of a train that was owned by SNCF. The reason you care about that is that the state of Maryland is in the process of expanding the Purple Line. The Purple Line wants to purchase trains from SCNF. And Leo was supposed to testify, and he was supposed to testify about his experience being transported on an SCNF train going to Auschwitz. I am incredibly impressed with both Lynn, and I would hope that we could find more leaders like both of these individuals, one who's still alive and one who sadly passed away this weekend. Here, here. All right, good one. <clears throat> Tell me a story, on to, uh, Carl Dubin. Editorial in the Baltimore Sun this past weekend with regard to the candidate for uh, the uh, uh, civil rights position at the State Department. Uh, <clears throat> it's been a, a long principle in the United States and case law that <clears throat> everyone is, is owed a lawyer to present his case. And it goes all the way back to two former presidents, John Adams, who, uh, who, who um, uh, defended some people who uh, had fired on some uh, uh, <coughs> some of people in, uh, in in the, in the uh, um, Revolutionary War, and also John Quincy Adams, who uh, took on the case of, of of British sailors and defended them. Uh, so I I really feel I feel bad about him lo losing that his spot. He was a well qualified person, and I'm also a little ticked that. At, and I understand the reason why they did it, but seven senators on the Democratic side 
we would not vote for the nomination. Wow. Here, here, Carl. Um, Dan Lindner, tell me a story real quick. Uh, in, in, so the only seat being picked up by the Democrats is not just uh, the seat in, in Pinellas County. In addition, uh, the Republicans were about to have a headache up in North Dakota, what they thought was the safe seat. Um, Kevin Kramer, Representative Kevin Kramer, a freshman, is about to be in trouble with an announcement that's going to happen next Tuesday. Wow. Oh, possible breaking news. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, you know what? i got nothing to top that. i got two and a half minutes to say what I need to say to close out. I'll do my tell me a story next week. Hey, on behalf of Congressman Al Swift, Bob Hines, Alan Moore-Deescraft, Carl Tubin, Dan Littner, I'm your moderator, Justin Russell. We will be back next week from Shelley's Back Room, 1331 F Street, in the heart of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Bob? The place to be. You know, get close to the mic. Really say it. The place to be. And you can follow us as always on our website where Denise Krep has her like that very well written story. Uh, like place on org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. Or you can email any stories, any rumor, any, any window you want covered on the show. You can email me at Justin at org. Folks, we'll see you here next Tuesday. Have a great week. Bye bye.